Welcome to the Bird's Eye View podcast. I'm Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer here along with my co-beat reporters, Les Bell and Paul Domowich and EJ Smith. What's up, guys? How's it going? Good morning. Howdy, howdy. Morning. Obviously, we have a uh, lot to talk about. Uh, big news yesterday, the Eagles fired Doug Peterson uh, a week after the season ended. And it's it's no surprise that it happened. It's a little bit of a surprise the way it happened, especially when, you know, signs were in. There were a lot of signs indicating that he was returning. In fact, he was, from what I understand, told that he was returning um, before the end of the season. And it just kind of turned on him. And I guess we have to dig into why we think it did that. And uh, I guess, you know, maybe we'll just kind of uh, go around the horn here and just open up with some initial idea, uh, thoughts or about what went down. Um, Les, I'll start with you. You know, what's your initial feeling about why it happened? Yeah, I, I think it, it has to do with uh, Jeffrey Lurie wanting big change after a 4-11-1 season and maybe Doug not seeing it quite the same way. In this particular narrow light, I, I kind of accept what Jeffrey said yesterday. Uh, he really wants to get the renovation started that they tried to initiate last off season and didn't really get there. Uh, and Doug really wanted to reshuffle some, some things. I think one of Doug's biggest weaknesses as a coach, he has a lot of strengths, but one of his weaknesses is he hasn't been in the NFL as a coach for very long. And he's only worked for the Eagles and the chiefs. And when it comes to bringing in people, there's not like Doug doesn't have a, a long list of names of people around the league that he's worked with and up and coming guys that he knows from here or there. Uh, and, and his suggestions weren't, uh, you know, they were, they weren't very thrilling. And I, I do think that's the bottom line on this. There are a lot of other things that sort of play into it, including Carson Wentz, but I, I, I think that's, that's why he's, he's out is the staff changes and the, his reluctance to really embrace doing things completely differently, which would certainly involve diminishing his offensive footprint, which is really what he stands for as a coach. And I don't blame him for not wanting to do that, but clearly that's what Lurie was looking for. So yeah. he wouldn't do it, then he wasn't going to keep the job. Yeah, but like, and then Adama, I'll shift to you too. Uh, and I'll just throw this out there. It's like the Doug, you know, Jeffrey kept saying how, you know, did he deserve to get fired? No, but I have to look towards the future. And it was interesting to hear say, you know, he, well, he's going to try and win as hard as he could this year. <laughs> you know, oh, God. But in, in a lot of circumstances, you maybe you would have given him enough. You would give him the full length of the rope and said, hey, OK, you deserve this one year to do everything as you see fit. Did you were you surprised? that he didn't get that opportunity, Damo. No, because, I mean, I, I mean, I think there, I mean, it's, I, I think there was a real difference in the short-term, long-term thing. I mean, you know, Doug can't afford a, a complete rebuild where, you know, the next two years are going to be bad. And then they decide to fire him. And he's got a record of like three straight years without going to the playoffs and his stock is, is down. I mean, so I, he, 
Yeah, I mean, he he felt they could do they they could make some minimal changes and 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 kind of retool on the run without doing what you know what Howie and Jeff want to do. Um, but I mean, it, but that's that's secondary. It gets to the staff. I mean, he wanted to keep presses, make him his offensive coordinator, so that he essentially would be the voice of the offense. And they don't want that. They want somebody from the outside coming in, a fresh voice, and and that's not what. You know, I mean, Jeff, he just got tired of saying, you know, yes, boss, and, and told them no. And, that, you know, that was the end of it. Right. Um, but, you know, you can't you can't fault Doug. Uh, oh, no, I don't. That, well, know, I, I, I do with Press Taylor. I mean, come on. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Doug was supporting the wrong guys. And, you yeah. know, um, and he, I mean, like, they were really – disappointed that he hadn't even interviewed anybody for defensive coordinator after the season had ended by the time he went to Jeffrey, you know, his plan was just to bring, you know, promote Matt Burke, or if that didn't work out, maybe bring in Corey Ellen. He had no other ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one of the examples of uh, specifically of where Jeff was kind of losing faith in, in Doug. Um, But there's obviously a lot more to this. I don't know, EJ, how do you see it? Um, if we're going to focus, uh, I guess, specifically uh, still on the coaching staff, because I think there's a lot more play here than just just that. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the the staff being the primary reason that, you know, they parted ways makes a lot of sense on the organization side. But I don't think that this argument that from the organization side, this argument that, you know, well, Doug was focused on winning next year and we aren't. I mean, that's that doesn't really hold water. I mean, that's how an organization should work. You know, your coach should be focused on doing what he can to win games. And, you know, the front office is supposed to be the one with the longest view in the room. And I think it it speaks to, you know, some of the issues that the organization has, because I feel like the best organizations, you do have a front office that is worried about the long term, and you ask your coach to worry about the short term. And it seems like with the Eagles, that sort of intermingles, you know, like you have a front office who is kind of worried about the short term and, you know, maybe is suggesting playing certain players because of contract implications. And, you know, you also would, you know, you are, you fire your coach and you argue that, oh, well, he didn't have the long-term view that we had. I don't think that you need to, I don't think that they need to have the same view. So I do think the staffing side of things is the more, you know, reasonable argument. Well, Right. I, I think it became this narrative that they built and it, and it got it, it clouded some of the really I mean, look, again, it, we'll definitely get into the Howie Roseman uh, element here. But it's like, oh, you know, we were trying for the short term, well, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Well, who was leading that charge? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if Doug cared as much about the short term as Howie did. Yeah. And, and Howie's moves were made. Now, I'm sure Doug's involved in that as well. And Doug believes in Jason Peters and he. You know, was kept throwing Alshon Jeffrey out there, um, but th- those are micro things. Uh, we're talking yeah. about macro, and and how he, you know, if you're thinking about the long term, you know, aren't you doing better with <laughs> with draft picks? Aren't you right. not? Aren't you not uh, sacrificing sa- sacrificing draft picks and? It was just like no accountability for how he's rolling this. Yeah. Well, you know, I tried to ask about that, and I got this cloud of words about their process. And to me, it really underlines something that Jeffrey and the organization, a big failing, I think, of, of Jeffrey and the organization. They're kind of nerds in a way that they really get caught up 
in the homework that they do. You hear this when they have a press conference and they sign somebody or they drafted somebody, all the homework that they did. Well, that's good. It's obviously good to do homework, but the homework doesn't matter if you flunk the exam, you know? I mean, so often they end up drafting the wrong guy or signing the wrong guy, and the homework doesn't matter. The process doesn't matter if you arrive at the wrong result. It doesn't matter how many boxes you checked and how many people you talked to and how much data you fed into your algorithm, you know, and that's what they really that's where their focus is. That's what they're proud of. They think even if they ended up with the wrong answer, if they can pull out all these reams of data and show them to you that this somehow exonerates them and it doesn't. Yeah. No, it was, it was shocking to hear Jeff's responses when asked directly, unless you, you uh, posited one of those questions about the draft. It's like, I, I the excuses were, mind-boggling about missing out on players oh but you know the process though we we projected uh cd lamb to be a good player he just wasn't there for us well i mean that's a poor excuse no shit you know you can trade up for these guys or you can be prepared to get the next guy certainly if you bring up the rager justin jefferson argument it's one that they have failed miserably at and it's not just that there's a bunch of them and you know it's it's you know, with Howie and Jeff, it's like they're both part of the same problem uh, in my eyes. And that's part of the issue here. And I think what I felt, too, from Jeffrey was almost defense uh, and, and a pridefulness that and I think this has clouded them and, and, and had a lot to do with the three year aggression is that they felt like we're as responsible for the Super Bowl as Doug Peterson and Howie is hiring a staff with six future GMs, a, a, a GM factory, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Yeah. And Howie, who thinks that he's got a, a uh, an organization that produces quarterbacks, franchise quarterbacks at a whim. These guys are overly impressed with themselves. With themselves, yes. yeah. And with that Super Bowl win, and what we've come to see is that that season was probably more of an anomaly – and they're, they're probably more of a middling franchise, certainly if you look at this latest regime. He also defended uh, uh, Howie by uh, claiming that, or not claiming, but that, that they brought in a lot of uh, established personnel people underneath him to, you know, to give him advice. And that's true. I mean, that's certainly true. The but the problem is. Uh, He's not ignores them. He's, he's not listening enough to them. So, you know, you can bring in the smartest man in the world. You know, if you're doing the exact opposite, it, he's not he's not helping you much. You have six GMs, six future GMs. Apparently you have a staff of like maybe, you know, 20 football operation, full football ops guys that handle analytics, et cetera. You have all these area scouts, et cetera. And they come up with Justin Jefferson and you ignore them. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't care how great your staff is. So there's a problem in the execution and yeah. it's, it's, it's at the top and you know, and I'm kind of going off tangent here, but with the Howie argument um, and, and look, Howie, this, you know, this buys Howie time again, uh, this will be a rebuild. He'll have a new coach. 
uh, yeah, there's certainly be pressure on him. But when the season starts, he doesn't have to go in front of the cameras and answer questions. Now, I do understand that maybe Doug, it would have been harder for him to kind of handle that. And maybe that's what they were looking ahead to. Um, but, you know, this Howie thing, let's, let's, let's dig into it. Why does, why does, why does Howie survive and Doug doesn't? Who wants that one? Well, you know, it, it's very simple. I mean, I think we all know the answer. It's how he's been here a very, very long time. He was here in a lesser role when I started covering the team in 2002. Uh, he is the closest person in the organization to Jeffrey Lurie. And they have very similar mindsets and they collaborate, you know, every day very closely and if he were to fire Howie Roseman and hire, let's say, John Dorsey, who's been advising them as his general manager, that relationship would be very different. Uh, they w- he wouldn't be a like-minded nerd, you know, who played fantasy football. Uh, he would be somebody who would keep the owner a little bit at arm's length. Certainly, the general manager has to do what the owner says in any organization, but there wouldn't be that collaboration. There wouldn't be that uh, strong connection between the two, I don't think. And Jeffrey has gotten, despite what he said about his level of involvement being the same over the last 25 years, we all know that's not true. It's not true. Uh, I've observed that just in my time covering the team. He is way more involved in football decisions than he was 10 or 12 years ago. And he wants to continue that. Uh, even though, in my view, he hasn't, he isn't qualified in those areas, uh, but he thinks he is, and analytics have kind of propped him up in that regard, and that you don't need to be a tobacco chewing football guy to, to really, you know, have a voice these days, and that's probably a good thing unless you misuse uh, those uh, initiatives. And I think Jeffrey does. Uh, I, I think that's it. I think. If Howie goes, a lot of Jeffrey's day-to-day influence uh, on the team goes, and right. yep. I, yeah. he's not going to do that. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that increased involvement that he has in these decisions kind of explains, like, why he answers the draft questions the way that he does, because he has a part in it. You know, it's not like he can just sit there and throw Howie under the bus for, you know, the decisions that they've made on draft days the last few years. Like, if he's – part of those decisions i guess that's that explains why he's more defensive than maybe you expect right and, and uh, jeff you know, i think you've reported that jj ortega Whiteside was basically jeffrey's idea right so jeff jeff had lobbied for he wanted a uh, a big receiver or you know a guy you know who can high point balls etc i mean i don't know why especially when you have a quarterback like carson wentz but that was what he wanted and and he pushed doug into going along with that. And then, so you have two of those guys and of course you have the owner. So, and Howie and Joe Douglas wanted Parrish Campbell, who was you know, apparently on the board. This is obviously stuff that happens very quickly. And, and if you look, if you see that, if you really knew the draft board, you'd see the way they have ranked guys ranked. It's like, it's not a linear kind of order. It's like, you know, this guy's a slot. This guy's a, for example, receiver. Yeah. this guy's a slot. This guy's this, this is where we have him ranked. It's not, it's, it's weird. So you have to make these choices sometimes and 
you know, Howie's like, what am I going to do? I got the head coach and the owner, especially the owner, wanting JJ. So he, he was the decide, deciding vote there. And, of course, he's got the final say, so it's up to him. So they ended up picking JJ, which was a, a bad pick. Um, not even bringing DK Metcalf, who they didn't even really have on the board at that point because it, he was a medical uh, issue and they had him down more like the third or fourth round. Um, and that's that's a problem. Look, you've ha- you have owners – in the room for like the first round or for high picks. And, you know, and maybe they're just kind of hanging out in the background in the second round, maybe, or something like that, but you don't have them involved at this point. And, right. and Jeff's involvement is problem, problem. And he, the same thing happened with the Jalen Hurst pick. That was a Howie and uh, Jeffrey Lurie production. Um, again, the scouts had Jeremy chin lined up safety. Now who's with the Panthers who had a great year and they wanted to, Shock the world and draft Jalen Hurts, and and this is this is a problem, and and that's you know that's what I wrote about today, and it's not just that; it's also the coaching decisions. Look, Jeff, and I do want to balance this a little bit. Jeff is a good owner. He's he's had most mostly success over his twenty seven years, whatever it is, and um, has done well, and he's made good decisions. He hired Jeff Jeff how Andy Reid, he hired Doug Peterson, won him a Super Bowl, but he's not immune to criticism. And I feel like because he's gotten more involved and, and has been emboldened by that Super Bowl, they're just going down a bad path. And yeah. my last point here is if you look at the other guys, he's not Jerry Jones and he's not Daniel Snyder. He's not that bad. And he's not ar- as arrogant as those guys. And he's not as outward. I mean, Jerry Jones certainly is out there. Snyder kind of hangs in the background. But when you seed from those two owners in particular, they also kept in their, you know, it was Bruce Allen in Washington for many, many years, long after anyone thought he should have been there. And in Dallas, it's his son. It's, it's Stephen Jones. I'm not saying Stephen's not bad or what, but my point is this is, that's who Howie is. Howie is Jeffrey's son. Yeah. Even and, though he has a son. You know, I, I, I wrote about this last month their, about their relationship. I mean, yeah, Jeffrey needs someone that he can completely and unequivocally trust, even if that is misguided. That's his blind spot, clearly. But it's that is Howie, and he doesn't want to see the shortcomings of Howie because it would mean getting rid of him, and then he'd be left with no one right now because there's no one else in that organization that could fill that role. I mean, for years that was Banner's role. Um, and now it's Howie's, and he. I mean, and so he's willing to ignore these shortcomings and to rationalize the the mistakes he's making, uh, and and saying stupid stuff like, "Well, look at the four teams in 2017 that were, you know, the four teams, the other three teams besides us that were there. They're all struggling too, you know, which is just absurd logic. But uh, to suggest that they're, you know, that that they all were on a schedule where this would be when they would start to falter. But still, what I'm, my point is, that's why, that's why Howie, that's why his job security, as far as I can see, any time in the, in the near future will never be a question. Yeah. I mean, it's laughable that he would, like, again, if you look at that specifically, the Patriots won a Super Bowl the next year. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't compare them. Uh, and, and I think, it's, you know, the Jaguars obviously have gone downhill since then, and they're not a good franchise. I don't know why you'd want to be compared to the Jaguars. Uh, maybe the Minnesota one is a fair one. 
but they have a little bit of a better situation. And hey, you know what? They did draft Justin Jefferson. I'm I'm not saying they haven't made other mistakes, and uh, and a lot of these teams have made draft mistakes. They, they, look, the Eagles are not alone there, but uh, I, I prideful sometimes about what his or, organization has done, and it's not justified in some respects. Uh, I'm going to transition real real here, uh, real quick here. Um, before we get into what's going to happen, the elephant in the room to me still, though, is Carson Wentz. And the way I feel about it is, while they can say Carson had nothing to do with Doug not being here, it had to factor into their decision. And I always felt like it was going to be hard for them to keep both them, especially when it had gotten out that Carson and their relationship with Doug was fractured and that you know, I guess there was one report that it was severed beyond repair. Now, look, I think maybe some of that would have been overstated, but Carson had the opportunity to quell that report, and he did not. And he still let it be out there. And to me, that was all you need to know about maybe, maybe we should have, I should have followed my nose a little more on that. But if, if the relationship with the quarterback, I think, yeah, they, they could have rectif- they could have fixed it maybe, yeah. But if the, if the quarterback doesn't want to play for the head coach, That's typically a- you see teams, they choose the, the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys think? Well, that's always the cheapest way to go. And, and you, you could hear in Jeffrey's – some people to actually took it as he was pumping up Carson's value on the market. I didn't take it that way at all. I took it as he's very – He's still very invested in Carson Wentz. Again, with him and Howie, drafting Carson Wentz and trading up to draft Carson Wentz is one of the master strokes of this administration. And if they're going to say Carson Wentz is crap and we made a mistake, that's a huge deal for them. Um, this is a much easier way to go. I think he was very careful, Jeffrey was, to kind of set it up so that if Jalen Hurts ends up being the quarterback long term, he – you know, he hasn't precluded that, but I think. Right, right. two assets. Remember, yeah. two assets kind of surprised me a little but bit. But all the stuff that he said about Carson leads you to believe that Carson is going to get every chance to win this job back and that Hurts is more of a fallback. Now, there is a report today, and it's just one report, and it's not from, you know, Schefter or anybody like that, that the Eagles have uh, reached out to Lincoln Riley. Now, if that would be the case, yeah, obviously Lincoln Riley, you know, coached Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, so they would be looking in a different direction. But I don't know. I, I still think, uh, yeah, the whole Wentz thing and the $34 million cap hit to trade him and the fact that, you know, it is kind of extreme to say that he's done after one bad year, uh, regardless of how bad that year was. Uh, I think that all did have a uh, part to play in this. Yeah. Damo, uh, you know, obviously we'll talk about Lincoln Riley real quick because you obviously know that Oklahoma program pretty well. But would you – I'm sorry, EJ, you look like no, you were no, going to talk ahead. first. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry, jump in. Uh, Damo, what's your take on the quarterback situation? I mean, I, you're, I, I think Les is right. I think – I mean, they want Car- – they, they want Carson to get fixed. And, and I think their first preference would be – for him to be the starting quarterback going forward uh, and, and, and bringing in a new coach. And, you know, 
you know, even if it's Lincoln Riley, I don't. I, that's no. That's that's not a given that that he would prefer uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, he didn't recruit Jalen. Jalen recruited him at Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he went there and had to convince them basically to take him, and he had a, an incredible year. But what I'm saying is, he'd also look at the situation. I mean, Lincoln Riley can win with any quarterback. I mean, he's he's got a brilliant offensive mind and. Yeah, anybody would look at Carson Wentz and, and realize that there's a lot of talent there if you can figure out how to get his head on straight and uh, and, and and fix the things that have gone wrong with him. Um, so, I mean, I think this benefits Carson. And I think, you know, I think the fact that that they wondered about that fractured relationship factored in here, even if they didn't say it, even if they don't even want to acknowledge it, it had to, like you said, Jeff, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's a factor. Yeah, I was it's just, the elephant in the room. Go ahead, EJ. Yeah, I was just going to say that you know, going into the off season, the most likely scenario was that they were going to try and bring in a coach that would fix Carson Wentz. I think you know it's important to keep that in mind that that was kind of what everybody was thinking going into this off season, and that's sort of seems how it's going to play play out, how it's going to pan out. Um, you know, even if they do bring in somebody who you know Hurts might be a better fit in their offense. I just think that there is going to be intrigue in seeing if Wentz can restore himself to whatever it was he was before this season. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that that's going to be one of the the main focuses of this coaching search. And real quick, real quick, before you get back to you, Jeff, one one thing that he said yesterday, which was interesting, and again, he could be just giving us a crap, a load of crap, but he said he doesn't. There, this isn't going to be. Uh, we want an offensive court guy. I mean, they want a CEO. He can bring in a he can bring in the the smartest stuff you know he can bring in a Joe Brady uh, or somebody like not not Joe Brady because Joe Brady's not going to make a lateral move yeah. but you know what I mean uh, yeah. so I mean we're we're looking at this as they're going to bring in somebody that's going to work directly with Carson and that might not necessarily be the case if they go with a, a guy with a defensive background right you know or if they go yeah if they go with a CEO guy but he better have a good offensive mind right at the ready or or how he has to have one ready for whoever this guy may be. Uh, well, no, I mean, you know, yeah, no, you're right. We know. Uh, but my, my guess, and if, if, if I'm going to start transitioning towards uh, who that may be, this makes it more likely that Carson comes back. I think yeah. we would all agree upon that. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about whether Carson's back or not, but, but yeah, certainly about what coach uh, could be on the horizon and, and Salah, He's gonna what he's had a second interview or he's gonna about to have a second interview with the Jets. Um, so he's a yeah, little, the Jets yeah. are a little bit of the head, head of the game there. I don't think Doug's gonna end up in with the Jets as much as you know there obviously is the connection there with Joe Douglas. Um, I don't know. I mean, you guys maybe have done a little more. EJ, you put out the uh, nine candidates. Why don't you run through them real quick and maybe we'll just kind of go through them. Um, yeah. So Salah would be the first one since you know now we know he's going to be um, interviewing at least. Uh, you know, he's one of the only defensive, like, focused guys that, you know, have been in the forefront of, like, this coaching search. I mean, he's a 49ers defensive coordinator. Um, I think the thing that's most interesting with him is that you get, like, more of the CEO type. I mean, like, you know, everybody knows him as the guy who's, like, running up and down the sideline, flexing and, like, pumping people up. Um, so, you know, I think that you would you'd expect to get, like, a, a CEO type defensive minded coach who brings, you know, whether it's like Mike LaFleur or just somebody from that 49ers offensive staff with him. And you can have the, you know, the innovative offense and, you know, the guy to work with Carson, but 
you don't need to have like the quarterback guru. Um, you know, some of the other big names were Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs. Um, he's probably like the the biggest like offensive coordinator name, or, or you know Brian Dabble or Arthur Smith. Um, and you know, we heard that Mike Kafka is an option <laughs> last yesterday too. So um, yep. And yep. you know, Jeffrey Lurie said that uh, Deuce Staley would be a candidate. So those are like you know the early people. I mean, it's going to be a long list, and you know, everybody's somebody will probably pop up out of nowhere. But those are definitely like the early names to keep in mind. I want to give credit. Uh, Dave Zangaro pointed out something on Twitter that about. Salah, that if you you can hire a defensive coach and he can bring in a great offensive coordinator and you'd be fine, except if you bring in a great offensive coordinator and you have success, that great offensive coordinator is gone very quickly to become a head coach somewhere else. So that is a complication. Right. And, you know, again, the Eagles tried to um, interview both Mike LaFleur and Mike McDermott, the run game coordinator. LaFleur is the pass game coordinator. Last year, uh, for the you know for that offensive coordinator job, when they thought they were going to fill it per se, so there's there's certainly and they they're definitely enamored with that Shanahan offense. They brought in Rich Gangarella, who wasn't quite successful here, but um, that's something to keep in mind with Salah. Uh, Dayball, uh, from what I heard about him, not really the CEO type, so I'm going to rule him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, or at least put him in the back pew right. for a while until they. <laughs> the other thing right. with him yeah. is he he has a long coaching history, and I mean this this stretch with Buffalo has obviously been impressive. But I mean, it, you could you it, it could be the same type of thing with like as Adam Gase was, where it's like you know you kind of got tricked by Josh yeah. Allen being really good, and you know the work that Josh Allen put in, and maybe give Dayball too much credit. So that's fair. Yep. Uh, yep. Smith has done a nice job with the Titans and, and Ryan Tannehill kind of resurrected his career. He could be a guy that they say, all right, you know, we need to re- resurrect someone's career here. Maybe he's the guy. I don't know as much about him in terms of his mental, you know, his makeup and what kind of leader he'll be. Yeah. But I think he's certainly someone that I have to consider. I, I just feel like what we've seen from Jeff, it's never the obvious choice. And someone has to do with, yeah. with, you know, the dynamic here of Jeff wanting to be involved and how he's needing to have complete say over personnel, not having someone jump into his, his, his uh, area of uh, experts expertise. And sometimes that leads them. I mean, again, they didn't get their first choice with Doug Peterson. Now that turned out fine for them. They won a Super Bowl, and the other five guys that were hired that offseason end up flaming out. And the same thing we saw with Andy, you know, he wasn't on anyone's radar either. He didn't get interviewed as well. It jumped from quarterbacks coach to to head coach and was successful. I feel like sometimes we need to like look past the obvious choice. Yeah, who who would be some of those guys, yeah. Donald? You've thrown out a couple names. Well, I mean, the first thing we got to ask is, would they go back to the college? I mean, you know, you mentioned the report about Lincoln Riley. There's a there's some other people that obviously uh, that they that that college coaches you could name that that would probably be on teams' radars, including Northwestern's Pet. Fitzgerald, Stanford's David Shaw, Iowa State's Matt Campbell. But the first question is, is that the direction they're going to go in? Now, my, my feeling is, I mean, they did, they did some, some preparation work on this in case they were going to fire Peterson like five, six yeah. weeks ago. Because at that, at that point, it was a possibility, and they did not want to be you, – you know they didn't want to be the last team looking. So, you know, they, they made some indirect contacts and I got to believe, so I got to believe that if 
this had happened like it like right now where they fire him and it was going to be a college coach well he'd be lined up right now and they'd be like a day away from telling us who he is and that doesn't seem to be the case i mean so i, I my my sense is it's not going to be a college guy but uh i think with Fitzgerald, um just having uh covered him a little bit i covered penn state and got to know him a little bit um he seems i wouldn't say entrenched there i think eventually he probably may make the the leap to the nfl game i've heard bears has always been attracted to him because that's where he's from that's where he's coached etc um and you know he's got young kids and yeah i don't know if and apparently there is a report out there that he's he's declined all interview offers so uh fitzgerald i'm not so sure about there's other some speculation about Ryan day, perhaps he spent only a year here with, uh, with Chip Kelly he was a quarterback's coach. We didn't really get to know him, but the Eagles know him a little bit, but I wonder if he's ready to kind of, if it's too early for him to leave yeah. Ohio state. Uh, and again, let's just get back to I the question so. of whether this isn't an attractive destination. I think sometimes that can be overplayed. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, a lot of what Lurie said was true. I mean, they basically have a supportive owner who's willing to spend money. Uh, They have a great market. They have good facilities, although he's overselling that point now. I mean, the facilities are 20 years old at this point. There's a lot, there's better facilities out there, but they're not bad facilities. I mean, it is a, it's not a bad set up overall if you ignore the howie factor and the the owner wanting to be involved factor which probably are you know somewhat roadblocks to people i don't think the quarterback situation is some huge roadblock i think they do have two guys who might be franchise quarterbacks and that's a lot more than you can say for a lot of teams uh the roster is you know that that can change pretty quickly. And as he pointed out, the salary cap thing is a one year situation. That wouldn't bother me at all. If I'm coming in as a coach, you're not here for one year. Um, but it's the Howie factor and the, the Lurie factor would give me a little bit of pause if I were a head coach. And the fact that they, frankly, that they fired a coach three years after he won the Super Bowl, which hasn't been done in a very, very long time would uh, have me ask some questions too. I'd really want to talk to people who have worked with these folks and have some idea of what working for them and with them is going to be like. And, you know, I think a lot will depend on what the answers are to that from the candidates that they uh, interview. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's fair. I mean, this, this will be just fourth head coach in in 10 years. Um, You know, he'd once been kind of viewed as a very patient owner, certainly with, with Jeffrey Lurie. He pulled the hook pretty quickly on Chip, and he's now really done it to Doug. So that's something you'd have to consider if you're looking to come here. Um, and if you, if you looked at and if you just looked strictly at the records and didn't do more hom- homework on why, like why they got rid of Chip, you would say, well, Jesus, yeah. they're demanding. I mean, the guy had three 10-win seasons, and they fired him. And now they're firing a guy after missing the playoffs in you know one year. So, yeah, that would be uh, yeah. something that might concern us. Yeah, uh, it's, it's also, candidate. you know, I mean, I'd be surprised if there's not going to be input on whoever they bring in, who's on their staff. I mean, it'd be, it'd be surprising to see guys like Deuce Staley or Jeff Stoutland gone. And 
you know, that might count them out against or with some of the, the top guys just because, you know, those guys are going to want to pick their own staffs. So, I mean, especially with the way that Doug left and, you know, with everything about the staffing stuff coming up, I, I don't know. It seems like they might have to go off the radar just because they're not going to be able to convince some of the top guys to come in and give up, you know, full control over their staff. Yep. Well, any 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 parting thoughts before we uh, we actually get back to reporting? Because uh, well, it looks guys, our, our early off season isn't quite going to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my Christmas lights are going to be off forever now. But uh, yeah, there's two more reports here. Uh, Sal Powell says Eagles are requesting permission to interview Todd Bowles, which surprises me a little bit. They like and, him. And uh, there's a perfunctory Arthur Smith. That's another one of these guys that's going to be interviewed everywhere that they've uh, requested interviews. They requested an interview with Arthur Smith. So, well, okay. <laughs> the, the, the beat goes yeah, on. It goes on. All right. Well, guys, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, all the work uh, that we've done these, uh, whatever last 10 many weeks uh, about this story, because it was one that's been developing and um, certainly not a surprise, but the way it, I think it happened was a little, little shocking. Um, but everyone, thanks for joining us at home or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Please read all of our stories at inquire.com. Sign up for the early bird, early birds newsletter where you'll get uh, links to all of our stories plus additional content on the Eagles and follow us uh, on Twitter. Why doesn't everyone give their handle real quick? This is probably the largest uh, listening group we've had in a I'm while. At, uh, Go ahead, e- EJ. At EJ Smith 94. Les. I'm at Les Bowen. And I'm at P at P Damo. And I'm at Jeff underscore McLean. Thanks everyone for joining the Bird's Eye View podcast, and we'll talk to you right. soon.